0: Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, we are joined by another longtime friend of Pragmatic, Luke Freiler. Luke is the CEO and founder of CenterCode, a customer validation company that helps hundreds of enterprise and high-growth technology companies build and release successful products. Welcome, Luke.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Rebecca.
0: Oh, it's always a pleasure, Luke. All right, first, let's give our our listeners some context. Can you tell me a little bit more about CenterCode and what you guys focus on there?
1: Absolutely. So we uh, basically have two hats and both are focused on the same deliverable, but for, for sort of different audiences. Um, ultimately what we do is help companies engage their customers while they're building a product to produce a, a better or hopefully a perfected product. Um, one of our offerings our sort of core is our platform. This is a company that helps companies uh, or it's a platform that helps companies manage this type of endeavor. So recruiting their prospective customers into a community bringing them into projects, uh, distributing typically pre-release or or beta product to those users, and then collecting feedback, prioritizing that feedback and so on. And then the other half of our business is actually a managed service that does that on behalf of other companies. So uh, either a company comes to us and subscribes to our platform to build up their own community and their own users and run their own programs, or they simply hire us to leverage our expertise to run those programs for them.
0: What kind of of clients do you generally work with? What would be the sort of typical profile?
1: Absolutely. So we really think of our our clients as sort of one of three buckets. Uh, The first is what we would call a high growth technology company. So this is sort of the Fitbits and Rokus of the world, the Pelotons of the world. Um, They're typically companies that are definitely technology companies at their core. They've always been that way, but they're typically not that old. They've been around five or 10 years, but they're sort of suddenly a household name and and dealing with rapid growth in the current market. So that's a big chunk of our customers. On the other extreme, we have what we call the modern enterprise, which is typically companies that you wouldn't think of as a tech company, but they've become one in recent years. So this is Ford and Citibank and, and Procter & Gamble, companies like that, that are now working their way into all of these technological markets and it's really unfamiliar territory to them. They, they don't really know exactly how to produce successful products with that level of sophistication yet. And, and they're just getting into it and, and we're helping them. Uh, the third profile is what you'd consider sort of the classic technology company. This is companies like Dell and, and Logitech and so on that are the types of companies that have been producing technology for years and years, but the market for technology and, and how technology is sort of released and adopted is very different. So. Uh, basically the high growth technology companies, the, the classic technology companies, and then the modern enterprise that's, that's basically becoming a technology company. Um, those three are, are really what we look at as our target market today.
0: And are there common, well, I mean, let's, uh, why, what problems are they solving by coming from you, right? So they're trying to bring successful products to market. Are there some common themes or issues either they have with the current process or with their, their previous processes they're looking to kind of tighten up and overcome?
1: Absolutely. So first, it's, it's not just about their processes, but but it's also about what has really changed in the market. And there's a number of things when it comes to building a product in 2020 that, that are very different than you know, five, 10 years ago and, and changing rapidly. The, the first is that products are just getting more complex. Um, you know, Virtually anything that comes out today is, is far more complex than the equivalent five or 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, which is when many of these companies have, have been producing products or even started. So products are getting more sophisticated. Um, next, products are getting more connected. And you know it's very rare that you see a product released that really can survive on its own merits and succeed on its own merits. Any product that comes out today, be it software through dealing with APIs and connections to other systems like Tableau and Slack or hardware that is typically a combination of hardware and software and services sort of working in concert to produce an experience, that's a very complicated thing. And more so, it's a complicated thing that is extended outside of virtually any company's control. So there's a good chance that the products that they're interacting with and that are necessary for their product to be perceived as success are outside their control. They, They don't control these things that they're integrating with or talking to and so on. So that's a problem. And then next, and I think this is probably the most interesting one, is that products are now continuously evolving. So it used to be sort of a fire and forget, I put out a product and then I go work on the next one in this sort of waterfall mentality, and I'm releasing new products every 12 or 18 months. And that's not really how most products work nowadays. If I'm putting out a product today, I'm almost certainly gonna be continuously iterating on it. And in part, not only because that's the market expectation and that's what I'm competing against, but also because of the first two items, because it's so complex, there might be problems left over. And because the connected aspect of the product is also changing, those other products are growing and evolving, you have to grow with them. So products now have much longer lifespans, in which case they're they're gonna be iterated on and, and, and worked on. So. So that third sort of continuous piece is of course, while Agile, or why Agile exists and, and what can't happen there. Um, but that's a big challenge for, for many companies that, that sort of culturally weren't designed around that. And again, those those high growth technology companies, the newer companies pretty much grew up in, in that environment, but most other companies didn't. They're either adopting it and have been for the last decade or it's entirely brand new to them in, in that modern enterprise mentality. Um, in, in addition to those three challenges, the, the next one of course is that All of this has also gotten hyper-competitive. Technology, as I said, is is what most every company is is seemingly becoming, or every product company. So not only do they have to do all those things right, but they're also almost certainly gonna be in fierce competition with a lot of other companies. And then on top of that, the way people are buying is changing to where the channels are getting reduced, right? Amazon is such a core channel for so many products now because even if you're not buying on Amazon, there's a good chance you're standing in Best Buy and you're gonna go check reviews on Amazon before you move. So one bad channel, one bad release can, can really have a big impact on a lot of things. So, so those are the things that are sort of driving companies toward what we do. Um, in terms of where the problems are, the single biggest problem is that they simply don't have a process or an expertise for this. Even the companies that have been around for decades, and and this is frankly was the inception of my company, um, were thinking much more like beta testing as this episodic thing that happened infrequently. Product managers more often than not are responsible for running their own beta tests, which may seem crazy, but is the unfortunate reality. And it was typically in the past something they did every 12 to 18 months, which means they learned a lot in the 11th hour before finally getting to sleep, And then by the time they did it again, they forgot most of what they learned because it was so infrequent. And part of that, sort of an outlier of that is is that because it was this infrequent thing that different product managers were doing in their 11th hour, the company didn't have a clean process or resources or tools, because again, it was forgotten consistently. So as we've moved to an agile world where things are much more continuous, there's now a need to be continuously engaging your customers with these products, not only before they launch for the first time, but also as you start to iterate and put out individual releases. Every new release is a new risk entering the marketplace that's keeping someone up at night. And a lot of companies are coming to us to help solidify those processes, make sure that they have something clean in place so that every release goes out successfully.
0: I mean, those, those uh, criteria and sort of the, the, the environmental factors you described are so much of what we hear from our clients and about their realities today. And you can really just see, even at the surface, what a huge impact that has on testing and bringing items to market, right? You think old school days, you have a new product, it's pretty self contained. You can have a really structured beta of what that looks like. Now you've got to kind of test the overall finished product, but you've got to test the incremental changes. There's, there's a lot more complexity around even the, the concept of, of product testing. And I, I, I know you guys that that's what you do, right? So yeah. talk to me a little bit about how you have iterated your testing processes, your platforms with, to, to help support this new reality.
1: Absolutely. So we started this company a long time ago. It was incredibly young when I, when I created this. Uh, and, and it was originally a company focused exclusively on that legacy concept of beta testing. And, and we spent you know, more than a decade basically perfecting that. We took it as our primary core competency and we wanted to build perfect beta tests for as many companies as possible. So of course we built and iterated on on a big platform for that at the enterprise level. Um, As we started to see the the market change and the needs of our customers change, we started to think more continuously. And, And frankly, we started to get more frustrated that too many companies were trying to apply that episodic beta approach to this now continuous methodology of of building and releasing products. So what we did was basically went back to the drawing board and said, okay, we need a process that can happen in a much more rapid sense and is continuous. And and what we did from that is is coined this concept of, of Delta testing. We basically said that beta testing is aligned with waterfall and this concept of I'm putting out something big and I need to do a dedicated, again, episodic testing phase for that. Whereas Delta not only covers that as we're sort of iterating from MVP and beyond, but also then goes past release and is always testing what the next thing is. So you can sort of take the analogy of Delta directly in that you're always focused on the difference between what exists and and what we're bringing into the world. So it might be the entire product, sort of like a traditional beta, I need to get it out for the first time, so I need to test everything. But then that exact same methodology will apply moving forward. So as I'm working through sprints, whether they be weekly, monthly, whatever it is, I always have a process in place so that I can ensure I'm eliminating whatever risk is there by getting it in those real environments, real hands, for at least a reasonable period of time. Sometimes that can be a few days, a week, it doesn't have to be a ton of time, but making sure that it does in fact work in those real diverse environments. And, and again, there's a lot to unpack there, but it was about shifting it from this big process that happened once every 18 months to something that can happen happen in a weekly capacity very, very rapidly with as little energy as possible. And the original way we went around this was we had a big platform that, again, was this sort of enterprise grade, very, very flexible platform. But one of the interesting challenges in a space like this is because every company was initially inventing their own processes, our platform had to deal with those. And as a result, it ended up incredibly flexible. It was something that could be configured for all of these different processes. And what we eventually realized is that our platform was actually a reflection of a very fragmented industry. All these big enterprise companies coming to us with these unique needs that we were very eager to meet But as a result, we have a product that we would describe as every customer used a third of it, but it was always a different third. And that led us to basically say, okay, the gap here is process. Every company out there is inventing their own process. Many of them are using our platform, but our platform is adopting to the processes. And as a result, they're all forced to create their own. So that made us really think deep about this, this concept that to really solve any major problem in the information space, you, you always need three things. You need the people to do the work, you need the process to, to do it right, and you need the technology to make it scalable. And what we realized is our customers were the people. Um, we were providing the technology. We definitely thought of ourselves primarily as a technology company. And the result in the middle was this, this process gap. But the benefit was, as I described earlier in this call, my my services team was running these projects for years and years. So we had sort of our own built-in test kitchen that was evolving with the times and and really getting the most out of our platform. So what we did was use them as a a test kitchen to basically create this, this framework, this concept of a system that any company could use to not only do great product testing with their customers, but do it continuously with a lot less effort, but with consistent prioritized results. So we basically built a framework that was scalable and adaptable to, to hopefully any company's needs. And it was built on top of a platform that we had already built up. And we then offered that as something that was available for free. We, we sort of open sourced all of the information, all the knowledge, every lesson we learned. We, we didn't really subscribe to a, a secret sauce mentality. We really wanted this to be a solved problem. And then ultimately at the end of the day, we would be the technology provider that would provide an ideal solution for it. Now. Where we've taken that in the last year or so is we've said, okay, we had this big platform, we built a process on top of it, but you need to know the process and, and there was that framework concept. What we've done since is said, okay, we've now proven this process over the last few years. We did it internally first, then we had a number of great companies try it and, and we certified a lot of companies. Um, we've had a lot of success with it. But now that we know this works, we can build that same functionality into the system. And then you don't need to know nearly as much of the platform, the system itself encompasses it. So whereas originally we had a framework or a platform we built a framework on, we've now built that framework into the platform. And we've taken advantage of a lot of modern technology like machine learning and bots and so on to do a lot of the heavy lifting to make this even more efficient. So throughout the last year, we've been working on a huge product release that is basically taking all of the framework that we've, we've designed over the last number of years and building it into the system to make this as efficient as possible for this type of continuous ongoing customer engagement.
0: To help kind of help the audience understand this kind of shift and approach, are there any examples of Delta testing in action that you can share with us to kind of help us see how it's evolved and how it's at, the kind of value it can bring?
1: Sure, so I'll go ahead and just describe some of the process a a little bit and and again, how it sort of fits into the system. Um, One of the most interesting things was the goal of, of automating as much of it as possible. And the idea that we used to have a role who was dedicated to the single biggest problem in our space, which is user engagement. The biggest problem was I give out 100 products to end users and only 20 or 30 really give me any meaningful feedback and a lot of that might not even be actionable. And what we wanted to do was take away the need to do all that manual work and leverage modern technology to basically automate it. So with that being the goal, we had to work backwards from, okay, what kinds of information would we need? What kind of signals would we need to give this bot effectively so that it could go do the job for us? And with that, we actually were able to leverage some of the core sort of tenets for how we think about breaking down a product for testing, a concept of phases that's aligned with sprints, a concept of features, which represents anything you want tested. It could be an actual feature in the product or an experience. And we built that into the system. So really all you're doing is importing a project plan or going in and creating one And you're just listing out, okay, this is the phase which represents sort of a feature set I want tested this week and next week and so on, just kind of goes forever as that product's evolving. And what that's doing is it's giving the bot, which in our case we call Ted, um, it gives Ted everything that that he needs to go out and engage your testers continuously. But what's neat about that, and again, I'm I'm focusing on this because it's such a core problem in this space, this concept of participation or engagement, is what's neat about doing this in a bot that, that a human can't really do is it can then consider the perspective and and the behavior of every individual user every single day and it can react differently. So for example, if a user is more inclined to be responsive to getting a text message than an email, the system can notice that response to that engagement and then lean on that more often for that specific user. Or if a specific user has more of their free time to dedicate to trying out this product in the evening because maybe it's a consumer connected product, and the system can see that behavior that's when they engage and it can start communicating with those users just ahead of that sort of typical window. So in other words it's learning about all of their behavior but it's also looking at the project. So say for example you added some features you want tested and you said this is a very high value feature and, and this over here is, is less valuable, it's, it's less prone to having issues or, or less controversial, um, the system can actually leverage that and it can say, okay, I've got some extra bandwidth over here from a user. They've already completed everything we asked of them, but this feature over here is high value, but doesn't really have a lot of feedback yet. It can take those two facts into mind and then reach out to that user and ask for a little bit of focus or perspective on that specific feature. And this was a huge innovation for us, a huge revelation is we could take what used to be a role. And again, in many cases, this was the product managers, you know, extra hours tacked onto every day, And we can automate that to pay attention to every user and treat every user individually, but also pay attention to the state of the product, the state of the project, put those two things together to get the most engagement out possible. And that's something, again, we spent a lot of time building and what we were really doing that was really neat is automating something that we were doing manually, but we could automate it at such great scale and precision that it can outpace what a person could have ever done before. And again, this isn't so much taking away a job for most people, it's taking away a second job for most people, um, which we're really excited about. So that's kind of the, the heart of this Delta concept is building something that is not only scalable and continuous, but, but also automated. And, and that didn't really exist in any capacity before this. So it's something we're really proud of.
0: So I'm gonna put you on the on the seat here, Luke, because I know that you guys are getting ready for a launch in spring, uh, I think it's first quarter next year. Yes. I would like for you to tell us how you're using this approach within your own release.
1: Of course. So, um, you know, we, we, of course, have to dog food everything we do. And, and funny enough, um, our product managers, of course, uh, do run our projects. But, you know, it, it, although I wish most product managers didn't have to run their own tests, um, ours, it is sort of the most effective way of them dog fooding what, what they effectively create. So we have a very tight partnership between uh, myself, who I'm sort of an effective product owner, uh, my product team who takes on this role, and the engineering team. We have what we call a go early program where any of our customers are are free to join, um, either with their primary implementation if they want or with sort of a staging server if they just want to get to explore it. And we're treating them like any other tester, which means on a week-to-week basis, they will have a series of activities to complete. And the real goal of of Delta is to get actionable feedback in in basically three forms. We're looking for the issues in the product that need to be fixed. We're looking for areas of improve that can make it more accepted. And then we're looking for for delights and and praise that that people really love and sort of hero features. Um, So we take that exact same process with our customers and and with our own product team that we invite as many customers as we can get in. And and thankfully most of them are very eager to, to join and we run them through the exact same process that, that we would expect them to run their customers through. Um, as you can imagine, it's, it's hard to even sort of wrap words around because it very much is a snake eating its own tail when you're beta testing a beta test platform, um, or, or in this case, Delta testing a Delta test platform. Um, but uh, it, it's something we do with, with every cycle that we put out.
0: So it sounds like most of, uh, most of testing these days when we're talking about software products is, is done online. But But even with that, has there been an impact on this process, uh, either yours or just in the, maybe in the process in general or the approach in general with COVID?
1: Yes. So a couple things. Um, for one, I, I think we were very lucky in that we existed in basically a remote testing space. So uh, our testers were already remote. Um, for the most part, they're typically people who are representative of what the real markets of, of products are. So uh, we didn't have to worry about that. And then we're also very grateful that all of our customers, because we're a SaaS platform, we're able to just go work from home, right? We're, we're pretty much all at tech companies. So most of us ended up working out of our homes for some period of time, most of us still are. Um, so, so it didn't really impact them in a negative way. In that sense, they were able to just keep doing their job as if nothing changed. Um, on the other side though, what really changed in their world and what we've seen has, has been very meaningful. Um, we've seen a lot of change in, in how companies are treating their roadmaps this year. Uh, You know, two things. One, there was just a big upset in everything from sort of supply chains to to communication within companies. So everybody kind of took a beat and slowed down a little bit. But also what we're seeing is everyone's a lot less willing to take risks. Most product portfolios at at the companies we deal with are pretty diverse. And there's some products that are follow-ups to successes that they know are going to be wins. And then there's a lot of experiments. There's a lot of gambling, frankly. And what we're seeing now is a lot less gambling. Um, we had an example of a company who told us that they had planned to release 20 products this year. It's not not a huge company, but it's a it's a well-known tech company. They had planned to release 20 products this year. And due to the impacts of COVID on, on everything, the market, their supply chain, just everything they were dealing with, that 20 turned into six. And what was very important about those six is those six had to sustain the company and, and help them continue to meet their goals, which means they couldn't gamble and they basically needed everything to work. They needed everything to be some level of hit. And that really changed the way they thought about things to where every product had to be great. And they looked at us as an opportunity to get in there and basically make sure that that last mile was well taken care of. That this idea of all their traditional sort of aspects of, of developing that product, everything from traditional quality testing to user experience, market research, you know, our perspective, and, and they share this, is that those things will produce a good product but in this current landscape of again these sophisticated highly connected continuously evolving products they needed to get those products out in real world customer hands to make sure that they're actually great that they work in those diverse environments and so on so in in that perspective they had fewer products and they brought us in to make sure those products were hits and again it's a good thing for us um you know i'm very grateful for that as, as miserable as as most other aspects of COVID have been um, but that's really been the impact is, is companies just can't take the risks that they once did and and that's really reshaping how product managers have to think about their portfolios.
0: So one one other question, uh, as we kind of get close to wrapping up here, but for some people, I think this is a fairly big shift in their thinking. Uh, for some, this is is kind of where they're going. But if they were if they were new to thinking about this sort of, uh, continuous testing piece. What are some initial steps that you would recommend they do?
1: Uh, awesome. Yeah. So, you know, this is going to sound a little self-fulfilling, but I, one thing that we're very passionate about as a company is, is releasing every single thing we learn. Um, we, we don't believe knowledge is, you know, IP. So if you go to our website, there's a big resources section with an enormous amount of absolutely free information. So I would definitely uh, recommend anybody go there and, and view you know, pretty much what we have available there for free. A um, lot of good stuff. The other thing that I would, would recommend is that everybody start building um, effectively a community of, of on-demand customers that they can engage with as often as possible or, or prospective customers. Um, many companies already have this in some capacity, but many product managers don't use it nearly as much as they could. And if they start to realize the enthusiasm that exists and how much those people want to help build the products that solve the problems they have, um, then that becomes a, a very valuable resource. And that team, th- those people, those evangelists translate nicely into a group of people that will be there to continuously test whatever the next problem that you're solving is. Um, so, you know, A, definitely go read the free resources that we have available Um, B, start thinking about a customer community that you can eventually turn into this group of people, these early adopters that are always taking advantage of of whatever you're about to release next. They want a voice in it, and frankly, their voice is valuable to you. So if you can leverage that, it's it's a very valuable thing.
0: All right, Luke, we talked about lots of different things today. Uh, But if you were going to have listeners do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would that
1: be? Oh man, um, the first I'd say is to to think the you know to to think about your your testing in a more continuous way. Most companies have shifted to thinking of their development and their internal testing in a more continuous way it really is the high growth companies that grew up in this atmosphere are the ones who this is sort of innately part of their culture. And those bigger companies are often afraid of those smaller companies eating their lunch because of how successful and how rapidly they're growing. And this approach to thinking about all aspects of product development release continuously is a big part of why those companies are so successful and scalable. So, so definitely start thinking about your, your, uh, sorry, start thinking about your, your program in a continuous uh, way. The next thing I would think about is, is many companies that collect this type of feedback um, really do just collect sort of open-ended feedback. It, it might be rich, but it's not very actionable. And for us, the single most important thing is that the feedback that you get is quantifiable and actionable. Um, for us, we, we have this concept, and again, you can read about it on our site called impact scoring. And the idea of impact scoring is to ensure that you're taking advantage of of both how prolific and how severe an issue is in prioritizing it against anything else. And the neat thing about this type of testing is you get a lot of different perspectives, which means you get that concept of frequency. In traditional QA testing, you have test cases, you have plans where people go out and, and they make sure the product works to spec but the reality is you don't necessarily know what is an outlier versus what's something that's gonna be reached by everybody. And, and the other reality being we, we just simply can't address every issue. So to start thinking about um, actionable feedback that you're leveraging sort of the frequency of that feedback in your decision making um, is, is very, very important. Many companies just sort of collect this big bulk of feedback and they just don't know what to do with it. they get overwhelmed and they move on. so everything has to have a purpose and, and be actionable and, and prioritized and and this type of testing that's so critical. so I would definitely think about that.
0: All right, thank you, Luke. Uh, as always, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on, and, and I really appreciate you joining us today.
1: Happy to, Rebecca. Thank you so much. And uh, definitely want want to wish everybody to stay well and and get through this mess. Um, Loving to see all the new technology that's going to come out as a result of of this sort of change in our world.
0: Absolutely. And Luke, uh, I know for people who are listening today uh, and want to know more about this, as Luke mentioned, there is a ton of really great resources on the Center Code website that I absolutely recommend you guys Uh, take a look at. And I also believe Luke is going to be joining us for a webinar soon, which we're going to dig into the topic even more. So that should be a lot of fun.
1: Excellent. Looking forward to it.
0: All right. That does it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.